exciting edition of Under the Floorboards, where we laugh at the creatures that go bump in the night. I'm your host, John, joined as always by my beautiful co-host, Eric. How are you this week? Fabulous. And we are extra fabulous because we are so excited to introduce our first guest of 2023, Spencer Madison. How oh, are what? you today? I'm very, very good. How are you guys? We are elated to have yeah. you on the show. Uh, we are very excited. Uh, you know, I've been watching all of your trailers and everything that you have going on for this year. And uh, I was telling Eric earlier, I'm really excited, too, that you wanted to do our format because uh, I think it's a lot of fun. And I think it's cool to give kind of a little bit of an aspect of where actors kind of it almost shows like how your brain ticks a little bit for the movies that you were picking. Yeah. Um, so today you actually picked H2. Uh, Rob Zombie's remake, which we're really excited for. We just did uh, yeah, Halloween. Purely, the first one. <laughs> purely by happenstance. So, so yeah. what what made you pick this movie specifically? Honestly, it's probably one of my favorites out of the whole Rob Zombie uh, universe. I really liked the symbolism that was in it, the the use of the white horse. A lot of people hate that. They hate the white horse in it, but I actually really like it. So I'm gonna try so hard not to offend you on this. <laughs> no. You, you, <laughs> I would love to hear everybody's opinion. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Eric, do you want to give us our itinerary for this? Yep, because we got a cast, dudes. Well, um, what, a, what is it, a 19 yeah, kill count? <laughs> this is my favorite. Released in 2009, clocking in at one hour and 45 minutes. This movie is directed and written by Rob Zombie. Uh, we have basically the same returning cast. I mm. promise I'll say everybody's names. But if you've seen the first one, a lot of them come back for this. So Scout Taylor Compton as Laurie Strode. Tyler Maine as Michael Myers, Malcolm McDowell as Dr. Samuel Loomis. We have Sherry Moon Zombie and my IMDb refreshed. Hang on. We got it. <laughs> well, this is why I had it. This is why we had it. <laughs> Sherry Moon Zombie as Deborah Myers. Chase Vanek as young Michael. Brian Dorif as Sheriff Lee Brackett. Caroline Williams as Dr. Mag- Maple, pardon me. Dayton Callie as Coroner Hooks. Richard Brake as Gary Scott. Octavia Spencer making a cool cameo as Nurse Daniels. Danielle Harris coming back as Annie Brackett. Love her so much. Yep. <laughs> We've got Margot Kidder as Barbara Col- um, Collier. I'm so bad at this, Spencer. You'll have to forgive me. <laughs> this, is, this is par for the course. <laughs> you should have seen Dead Snow. Oh, that was goodness. a nightmare. Yep. <laughs> um, Mary Birdsong as Nancy McDonald. Bree Grant as Maya Rockwell. Howard Hessman as Uncle Meat. I don't know what that means. Um, Angela Trimber as Harley David, Diane Goldner as Jane Salvador. I'm going to stop there. Yeah. <laughs> Plus or minus 15. So, so we're in. <laughs> Scout, uh, Scout, Jesus. Uh, Spencer, you said this was a movie that you really loved out of the Rob Zombie series. What was your first impression? Like when you, you know, coming off of the first Rob Zombie movie or the first uh, Halloween, what really kind of drew you in when you watched this the first time? Um, so I think it has a lot to do with the format that it was filmed. Uh, so for example, I really enjoy movies, sequels to movies that almost pick up where they're left off. Mm -hmm. So in the, in the first scene, it's literally scalp covered in blood right, right off the bat from the last movie. Mm -hmm. Um, and then you learn that it's a dream sequence and it's actually two years later. So Mm -hmm. I really enjoyed that kind of like time jump but it was done in a, in a way that it, it puts you back into the universe right right off the bat and that, i really enjoyed that right you're definitely like keeping the immersion a lot for this kind of world that rob zombie's kind of built especially like the fact that he was creating this origin story so it's like okay how do i keep that going and i think for that i think that was kind of the issue for me was 
if it had just gone straight into that, I would have had a better first impression. But the white horse right off the bat was a little immersion breaking for me. And I think it was compounded by the fact that they kind of changed the uh, child actor mm-hmm. for Michael yeah. Myers. And it, it just felt weird right off the bat to me. Overall, I really enjoyed this movie. But Eric, what yeah. was your first impression? Yeah, this is definitely my first time watching this one. Um, I thought it was I thought it was good. I mean, it was in the same vein in terms of quality and filmmaking that mm-hmm. H1 was. Um, you could tell Rob probably had this conceptualized while he was writing one and trying to figure out what he wanted to do with one. He, the intention mm-hmm. was obviously to make this and keep it one cohesive thing. And I thought it translated pretty well across the board. So, yeah, yeah I thought it was fine. I would think so. But let's get right on into the movie. So, like, we'll start off with, like, the most controversial part of this, I guess, where it's like, it. <laughs> yeah, you know, we start off with the white horse and the explanation out of some psychological text. I couldn't remember what it was actually called, but just saying that symbolism of destruction and mayhem and chaos Mm -hmm. and kind of like the things that really do embody Michael Myers. Uh, There's a purity to it though. You know? Yeah. Yeah. What was something that was like really the selling point for you on that Spencer? So I, I watched it once the very first time I watched it, I hated it and it took me about two weeks to rewatch it, but I did a lot of research of, the making of the film. And it's mm-hmm. funny that um, you say that you've, the Rob conceptualized with the first film to like be cohesive. This was actually not the movie that he wanted. He wanted this. So the, the very first script was uh, Lori having actually been the one who killed everyone. And it was actually the whole, it was all in her head. And that's why the uh-huh. white horse comes in. So the white horse actually symbolizes the drive to cause chaos the the innate and almost like bred violence Mm -hmm. um, that is like generational. Yeah. It's genetic violence. Exactly. Exactly. So the first script or his first concept of it was actually Lori was going to be the Lori was the villain at the very Mm -hmm. end. And that's kind of in the, the ending of, of this movie actually plays into that for in the psych ward and stuff. Um, So after I read that, I appreciated the artistic approach a little bit more, but I don't think the white horse translated well. And I think that's why people right. didn't like it. And it's funny that you say that because I didn't know that. So what's crazy is when you look and, you know, we'll skip to the end real quick. Sure. Like, yeah. Just like seeing that final shot when I watched it the first time, that was the impression I was under until they showed Michael's body the second time. Cause I was like, Oh my God, was this all an illusion? And mm-hmm. she was the one killing everybody. But then like the timing sequences for different kills and stuff just didn't add up and you know, all, all of that. Mm-hmm. But that actually makes it feel, cause I was telling him earlier, like it felt too artistic to me. And that's because, the punchline wasn't there is what it sounds like you're telling me, which kind of yeah. sucks. Yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah, I think he, I think he ran into some problems. I think he ran into some problems with the people who wanted Michael Myers to be the main, it, it like he, they wanted my, it to be a Michael Myers story through and through. And they didn't want to put Lori into that position of villain. So, but they were fine with killing Michael. <laughs> <laughs> is he really dead? <laughs> He's always right here. (laughs) Um, So anyways, we start off with our white horse and we have this scene with Sherry Moon Zombie and she's, you know, bringing in the white horse Mm -hmm. physically to Michael and be like, here. And he's like, oh, I had a dream about you. I'm just like, I'm sorry, what? He's like, you were riding a white horse. 
Just like the one you brought me. It's like, oh, so Michael's psychic now. So that's great. Right. <laughs> He's also talking. He's also having like a cordial, cordial conversation, you know, yeah. and it's it, where that's that was the jarring part for me. I think it was more jarring when they had uh, Loomis's first uh, expose uh, before he actually does the book signing. And he shows a video of Michael speaking after mm-hmm. his mom had killed himself. And for me in the first movie, the scene where he kills the nurse and like has the freak out on his mom, like to me, that was where we had the Michael shutdown mm-hmm. and there was Gone. no longer anything there. Mm-hmm. And it was, that was kind of weird to me. And like, it's, Rob Zombie's story, but that took away for me a little bit because sure. I was just like, I just don't understand. I was like, I thought that we had already created this monster, yeah, and I guess he's just been playing with this white horse in his fucking room with his masks and shit for mm-hmm. the last like year and a half. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I agree with that. It was it was a little strange to see him speaking so like calmly, and mm. it wasn't it wasn't like catatonic and like. Mm dead face it was actually like he was pretty expressive and i think in the first movie dag who played young michael myers did a phenomenal job at having having those dead eyes and like even when he did speak it was very monotone and catatonic and this mm-hmm. new kid i mean i don't know where he is today but i'm sorry i wasn't sold on it yeah. <laughs> well and like that was honestly like just for him that those are you know physically small shoes to step into but like there, th- that was a big role to fill for this kid was he was stepping into like again that was so immersion breaking for me because that kid did such an amazing job and that was sold as michael and now we're getting like these different nuances for michael mm-hmm. and the actor's not the same and he's not doing as good of a job and it's just it was just weird mm-hmm. so again we we start off with and you mentioned this uh, before we actually got into here about how you loved how it picked up right from where it left off. When you think about movies like Halloween to Halloween 2, and even like Halloween uh, 2018 into Halloween Kills, like how much do you think that really develops the story going into like the exact same night as compared to like when you have typically the third movie will go into like a year later or X amount of time has passed? So I think with it picking up, even though it was a dream sequence Mm. of Lori dreaming of that night, it was the first scene. It was her covered in blood. And it, Mm. like I said, it it really immersed you back into that universe. And one of the most, I think it's the scene where she's on the gurney, which I showed last night. Mm. (laughs) It's so jarring. And it's so, am I going to (laughs) die? Yeah. And it's very, it's very like, it like, it's very visceral. It feels like you're really getting personal with Lori. And I think that's what I liked about it because I was not an original fan of John Carpenter. Okay. Um, I just wasn't. Hot takes. (laughs) It doesn't, it doesn't scare me. Maybe if I was, you know, maybe if it was 1974 when it came out or whatever, it would have scared me. But I, I liked Rob Zombie's take more of how, of like the color of the blood and and the personal the shot the artistic mm-hmm. personal shots the close-ups that he takes and mm-hmm. um i think this opening scene um is what sold me because it was so brutal mm-hmm. well so let me ask you this uh with we're talking about how it's a dream sequence Here, here's my only thing is i don't know that they actually clarify in the movie whether that was a dream sequence. i mean it was a dream either way but was this a possible flashback 
And the only reason I say that is it's almost a continuation of the rest of the night. And they don't, outside of that, they don't tell us what the rest of the night was. We just jump to the beginning of the year. But would that have given us, like, that was the night of terror, right? And that's kind of how the first uh, Halloween 1 and 2 happened was, and that's actually what I loved about that dream sequence was it was literally them taking Halloween 2 and making it 15 fucking minutes long, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, which that movie ultimately could have been. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, so I don't know if it actually, I don't think that that is what happened because okay. later in the movie, Lori's in, in therapy and mm-hmm. the therapist says they never found his body. Mm-hmm. So like he was already like, so there's the scene where he escapes the, the corner mm-hmm. in the truck. Um, and it was like, it was because of a car crash and the body could have been anywhere. The cows could have eaten it, blah, blah, blah. Like, <laughs> I, think, I don't think that, I don't think that night actually happened the dream sequence. I think it was a memory up until Michael Myers entered the hospital. So you think they, that he blurred the lines a little bit? Like we got, we got a little bit of context of what happened that night. And then we kind of jumped into like, Hey, the rest of this is just dream sequence. I I think it's a good commentary on grief processing too. Like anybody that's been through something traumatic or has witnessed something Mm -hmm. traumatic tends to fill in their own details. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think that that's part of adding, we were, we were watching um, a documentary about slashers before we jumped into the movie today. And part of the psychology that they talk about, like with Freddy Krueger is the ability to infiltrate the brain and that sort of, that may, separate him from a Michael Myers or a Jason or something mm-hmm. like that. So adding that element of like the psychological torture that they all inflict ultimately. Right. Right. You know, <laughs> so I was, I would, that's where my head went initially. Well, it's just wild to think that like, uh, especially like this iteration, we have such a sympathetic Michael Myers, mm-hmm. right. As opposed to the 78 version. I think that's where a lot of, I, I think there's a lot of uh, separation in fandom because people, you know, just gatekeep over everything. And like, this is what's okay. And this is what's not. And it's just like, we were here for the lore, you know, Mm -hmm. like, I think that's a cool thing to add. Whereas like the first one is just like, Oh, well he just wants to kill people. And it's like, I mean, on one level, I get it. Yeah. (laughs) This one has a mission and a purpose though. Right. This has a modus operandi. All that's, you know, we got to get the family back together. Yeah. It's really, this is really just a metaphor for the Fast and the Furious to come. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah, I I enjoyed the family aspect of it a lot. I enjoyed the backstory that Rob Zombie gave Michael. It made him more human. And Rob Zombie does this amazing job at humanizing his villains. Mm -hmm. So, like, for example, with the Firefly family and and Devil's Rejects, they're the main characters. So whether they're pillaging and raping and murdering you're Mm -hmm. kind of on their side no matter what and it's funny you bring that up too because that in i felt like in house of a thousand corpses they weren't that they were not sympathetic to me at least uh but then you go into devil's rejects and he really had more time to like humanize them and give them that family aspect and like them Mm -hmm. protecting each other even though the world needed like protecting from them (laughs) But yeah, we we move on to um, well, we get you know our first one through three kills, I guess, in the dream mm-hmm. sequence, right? And we get Lori, who's now coming back from the craziness and the fucking fucked up landscape that is her mind right now. Really like this sequence where she takes herself out of you know gets up and moves into Annie's room 
to just just to I have to make sure you're okay, right? Mm-hmm. And then there's that connection, there's that sympathy kicks in of now I can't leave, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? I thought it was a good take. But now that I know like that Spencer's brought up the fact that like what the original premise of this yeah. script is, it's just like fucking my brain up for like each one of these scenes because yep. it's just like oh my god, this would have made so much more sense, mm-hmm. you know? Like, yep. Yeah. Especially, like, later on when we start having those meltdowns across the board. And she's, like, you know, imagining killing Danielle Harris and mm-hmm. shit like that. And it's just like, god damn it, dude. Like, mm-hmm. This is why you don't listen to your producer. You just do whatever the fuck you want. <laughs> yeah, I think that that's what – so I watched the recent trilogy for Halloween, John Carpenter's. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I – I did not like them. I uh, <laughs> I really liked Ends because it was not a Michael Myers story. It was a Laurie Strode story. And it kind of, for me, put into perspective that this was always a Laurie Strode story. Yeah. Yep. And, and so for Rob Zombie's version, I'm bummed that they didn't go in that direction because it, it's always been a Laurie Strode. It's mm-hmm. not Ghostface who goes after different you know what I mean? Yeah. It's, like, it's a different killer going after different people. Mm-hmm. It's always been Laurie Strode with Michael Myers. So mm-hmm. I think that if they would have gone with Laurie Strode being the villain, that would have been so sick. Yeah. And especially since like Scout did such an amazing job. Crushes some of these scenes. She did yeah. such an amazing job in this movie. And like what really kind of fucked me up about her, that because she I felt like her writing was good and I felt like she destroyed her role beautifully but it felt like all the focus was put on her and it didn't leave room for like uh, is it Hackett um the sheriff bracket bracket yeah bracket. Uh, it didn't leave any more room for sheriff bracket there was a little bit of growth as far as him like being the father-esque character um and daniel harris really was kind of put to the wayside for a lot of this movie and for tyler main for me it was a little bit weird because he would like the grunts were weird like it was weird to hear him while he was killing (laughs) talking again (laughs) that's actually something i really enjoyed about about it and you'll notice that too in in the first one is that he i mean if you're like stabbing someone Mm-hmm. Like it's like playing tennis, like in grunting. You know what oh, I mean? Yeah. You're gonna make a sound whether you're a psychopath or not. Oh yeah, it was just one of those things where like I guess we were so used to like that concept of Michael Myers, and now it just sounds like Serena Williams stabbing somebody. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like my Michael Myers silent but deadly. <laughs> <laughs> well, especially in the uh, the scene before he actually makes it back to Haddonfield when he's going through the uh the field and he runs into the rednecks Mm -hmm. and he's just and i'm just like oh god (laughs) i really hated that he killed that dog why did he have to kill the dog (laughs) and ate it (laughs) (laughs) it was one of those things like i know that scout is a pescatarian and i like i was watching that scene where she was eating the pizza while he's just like eating this dog and i'm like Oh, I get it now. Yeah, there it is. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it was it was just one of those things where I felt like he was trying to again, it was just the art was hitting weird because of the way that he was being limited in this movie. Because there were like this was the first instance where they had slow motion uh in pulling her out of the truck, the other mm-hmm. redneck girl who was actually the sympathetic one. Hey, out my of all of it, you know? like, I, look, I hate him too. Hey. <laughs> 
I have to live with him. <laughs> but it, it was just kind of like, what, what do you think about like when you're working on a movie or just a movie that you're watching in general, when you take a concept of like the basic cinematography, right. That you would use throughout to begin with. How do you feel about introducing new elements like, like the slow motion for that, or just, you know, a random fisheye lens or whatever makes sense. Right. I think you shouldn't overdo it. Mm. Um, I was, I was just in a movie uh, last year called Phantom Fun World. And there's only one (laughs) one slow-mo scene and it's Mm. very intentional. Mm. And I noticed in this Rob Zombie movie that there was like a lot of like weird, like little slow-mos or like artistic shots that, I wondered if, if they were his, if they were Rob Dami's ideas or if the the mm-hmm. camera op was like, this would be really cool. And then, <laughs> then did it. And then Rob was like, well, we don't have fucking time. So let's just move on. Yeah. <laughs> well, cause it's one of those things where like, it looked familiar as far as like, it was the same slow-mos that they used a handful of times uh, in the devil's rejects yeah. that like super gritty slow-mo. And I like it. But they used it like three times in the movie, and it just felt. And the awkward. moments that they chose weren't, you know, <laughs> I don't know. They yeah, I, I also like I don't I don't know if we're allowed to like skip to the end and then come back around. We can um, do. Whatever. Yeah, you're yeah. the guest, man. I don't give a shit. <laughs> so the scene at the very end when Lori's in the shack with mm-hmm. Michael and young Michael and Sherry and and like young Michael's holding her and it's like slow mo and they're like fighting each other. I was like. That's not when that should be. The slow-mo should be when they're shooting Lori. <laughs> when they're, like, shooting her and she falls. I think that the hot take for that scene was that they should have shot Malcolm McDowell. Because <laughs> he was holding his body up, and I was like... Kind of pulls him back a little well, bit, yeah. Because it's also one of those things, you know, we've had, God, what? I think it's four, between 14 and 16 Halloween movies now. And I have watched that man get shot more than anything else on the face <laughs> of this earth. Set on fire, shot with a rocket, yeah. thrown in a creek, like just name it. But you're going to tell me like the podunk Haddonfield just pulled out like a 22 and just shot him through a window. Mm-hmm. And he's like, oh, fuck. <laughs> nope, I'm not. <laughs> you know why? <laughs> yeah. And I think there would have been a lot more gravity to that scene too. Like we'll, we'll stay on this for a second. Cause Go. like now I'm feeling just the fact that if she was really the one who was supposed to be the slasher the entire time, yeah. that would have been a beautiful shot. Especially now just, knowing what you told us. Yeah, yeah. She's stabbing into Michael and stabbing and stabbing and stabbing. And then we come back and there's nothing. And there's just the knife in the wall. That would have been like right. the money shot mm-hmm. of the yeah, whole yeah. fucking movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm trying to think. I'm going to have to look this up. Like, I'm going to look this up right now. I should have done this last night. But I have this vague memory. And I don't know if it's because maybe I watched a director's cut or I watched an extended version. Or Mm -hmm. maybe I just missed it last night in my rewatch. But she puts the mask on. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, that, That was fucking rad. Yeah, and, and that would have been like again if she was the slasher, that could have been her donning the mask right. for the first yeah. time. Yeah, yeah. And I guess like too that that could have been a little bit more ambiguous because like going back to the you know initial scene where he's going into Haddonfield, he's got that jacket on, he's got his hood up, he's just walking through, 
but that could have been more ambiguous about like how tall it is. Mm -hmm. Like, is it Michael Myers or is it just something that these people are perceiving as bigger? And it's actually just Lori like sleepwalking around and Mm -hmm. killing people. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. And there was, you know, a really confusing set of visuals prior to that final fight with like we've alluded to a couple of times, but it, I, maybe I just didn't get it, but I really feel like I didn't get it. (laughs) What the, uh, what the choices were to, is he there? Is he not? And that sort of thing. Why is he wearing a mask sometimes? Why isn't he? There's a couple Mm -hmm. of, you know what I mean? That I, that maybe the inconsistencies and the mental perception of him or the projection of him or whatever. Yeah. Something something that simple. And I'm just trying to overanalyze it, but yeah. I think one of the things for me is we, like jumping back and kind of getting more into Lori's psychosis as we have uh, the scene where for it starts off as Michael is walking through and then he runs into mom and runs into the younger version mm-hmm. of himself. The younger version of himself is like, I have something to show you. And they turn around and it's like snowing. And then there's just Lori spray like splayed out on the table mm-hmm. Again, this felt like one of those really artsy scenes to me because I didn't really understand why there were a bunch of pumpkin heads like sitting behind it. The cast of My Chemical Romance. Because it's Halloween. (laughs) (laughs) It was right there. God damn it. God damn it. I know. You know, I was looking at it and I was actually hoping that they were going to be wearing the masks from uh, Halloween 3. Because those tend to usually make their way into like all of the Halloween series. (laughs) Oh my god, I love those. Yeah, yeah. That we actually went to uh, Mad Monster this year, and we had the Halloween three panel, and that was just so much fun. Everybody was there. Yeah, everyone was there, and it was funny because I was like one of the. Like when you look at the box office, it didn't do well. But when you look at like the cult following it had, it was just it was massive. And you know, I stood up and I was like, "Well, obviously, you guys have fans here because <laughs> we yeah. all we all chose to come to this." Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think it took this long for people to realize that while it was a standalone, it was like mm-hmm. a cult fucking classic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Like, when it came out, people were like, "This isn't even this is stupid. This isn't even like a part of Michael Myers." Blah blah. blah. Mm-hmm. And then now, you know, however many years later, it's like, that was a fucking good ass movie. Well, yeah. And it was one of those things where like originally John Carpenter wanted to do an anthology. Like Halloween was supposed to be a standalone movie. And then of course the, the production company was like, we need more Michael. <laughs> this yeah. made so much money. We need more Michael. <laughs> and that's how we got the mask in Halloween too. Yeah. <laughs> It was wild to me that they couldn't find another William Shatner mask. I know. <laughs> yeah. You, you would yeah. think they wouldn't have sold very well. Yeah. <laughs> so it's funny about the mask. So for Rob Zombie's Halloween one, first of all, there's a four and a half hour documentary free on YouTube of the making of Halloween. Okay. It's amazing. Okay. Um, but it shows like everything from pre-production all the way to post-production. Mm-hmm. And it's, they showed how they were making the mask for Tyler Maine and they took a life cast of his head. And so while it's, while it's the William Shatner, like inspired mask, it's more Tyler Maine's face and Rob Zombie than it is. Oh, William yeah. Shatner. Well, and that one definitely seemed to like suit his face more. Yeah. And quite frankly, like Tyler Maine has the face for Michael Myers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, he was, well, he was what, WWE or something like that before? Because yeah. he was a wrestling professional mm-hmm. before he got into this. Yeah. 
which I think definitely transcended the role a little bit when he's doing the choke slams on yeah, people. Yeah, I was going to say. Yeah, and he knows how to do it safely, too, so. Yeah, exactly. I mean, was he was he doing most of the stunt work, I'm assuming? Oh, yeah. I, I think in the – so I know in the first one he had a couple of stunt doubles for scenes like when uh, there was a scene where they he was getting shot in front of the house – uh, he did the scene where he had like packs where they were exploding, but they also shot where his stunt double was being shot with paintball guns. So he, they, he was actually like reacting to being shot. So uh, that's so yeah. crazy. Yeah. <laughs> Makes sense. Yeah. Uh, w- has he been in anything else? I have no idea. I was like, cause I haven't seen him in anything, but I will say for like being in a role where you don't have dialogue, that was incredible. You know, it was one of those things where it's like, you look at David Howard Thornton and art and it's like, how do you make this character come to life without, yeah. without actually, you know, being able to speak, you know, and, you know, I make fun of him a little bit for the Serena Williams slaps, but like outside of that, it's like, he really was like bringing a character to life with zero dialogue. Um, I, I think it has a lot to do with the eyes, to be honest. I mean, while Art the Clown can, like, smile and he uses his hands and he's very, anim- like, animated, mm-hmm. Michael Myers is very stoic and you can't even see his, like, half his face, There ha- it has to be the eyes, you know? Do you think that's why they had a lot of those shots where it was, like, almost tilted up at him, like, when they were at the strip club and he's standing outside in the back and he's got the, the hood over and he's arguing with, I, I can't remember the actor's name off the top of my head, um, but essentially the uh, security guy for the strip club. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that that makes a little bit more sense, sure. you know. And he's a big dude. That's a lot of area to work with. So you're you're gonna hate it. Uh, I did check it out. He played Sabretooth in the original X Men. Are you serious? Mm-hmm. That's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Are you talking about FX Studios X Men? Two thousand X Men. He was also Ajax and Troy. Holy. Yeah. Well, I haven't seen Troy. Yeah. <laughs> he keeps I love that for him. Yeah. <laughs> That's so cool. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. I'd probably save them a lot of money too on uh <laughs> on, on stunt work. Yeah, <laughs> for sure, for sure. Uh, there, there was you know this weird point where like we're trying to track Michael, right? And he's kind of like just moving through Haddonfield slowly, and I'm assuming he didn't know where Lori was, right? Because we were kind of following just the outside stories, looking in. At this point, I sort of get the vibe that there was something drawing him towards the direction that she was in that. Right. Yeah. I mean, like, I don't know. Or was the white horse bringing him to riding the white horse? horse. (laughs) I I think it's really strange that she never left. Yep. I think that's strange in all of these movies. (laughs) Yeah. I because no matter what, if Michael's alive, his go to is going to be Haddonfield, no matter what. Sure. Yeah. He doesn't, it doesn't matter if it doesn't matter. He's always going to go to Haddonfield. So like, why not just leave? Uh-huh. <laughs> we were, we were, I was talking earlier about how funny it was to me that Loomis chose to have the book release party, like the launch party in the, Oh my God. <laughs> you know, dude. Can we like, fucking talk about dude, Loomis for yeah. a minute? <laughs> Let's go. Let's <laughs> like, go. Because I love Malcolm McDowell. Yeah. He has been one of my favorite actors for a long time. And I have so much respect for somebody who gets blacklisted on so much shit for roles that they take yeah. mad respect. Um, I love the clockwork orange. Mm-hmm. I love everything that he does. Um, mad mod team. Yeah. Mad. 
I've said this so many times about Rob Zombie is that man is amazing at making characters so easy to kill. Because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you look at Loomis in this movie and it's just like, God damn it, dude. Are you? He just you... can't figure out why nobody likes him. <laughs> Everybody. <Yeah. hated> him. <laughs> you look like the asshole next to Weird Al. I'm going to sell the first edition books to everybody that lived in the town where this happened. One yeah. year after the events that transpired. Of course the father of one of the girls that got killed shows up. <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you show up to a town full of trauma, and yeah. you're, like, the, the triggering trauma. all of them. Yeah. I'm the problem. <laughs> it's me. <laughs> it, it was just one of those things, like, I was thinking about it. I was like, this dude looks like a monster sitting next to Chris Hardwick, and that's <laughs> fucking incredible. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it was one of those things, like, I loved that scene, like you were talking about, because yeah. it was so visceral and so real. Of course, someone's going to show up that was traumatized mm-hmm. and fucked up by this. Kind of looks like you're profiting off of my trauma right now. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and it's not like he was, he was, and especially at the end, he's like, I'm just here to help. That yeah. wasn't a bad Malcolm well, McDowell, actually. Well, that was a great impression. <laughs> it was pretty strong, yeah. Uh, what The line that struck me was, uh, I'm selling the sizzle, not the steak. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But it was like one of those things where I was just sitting there like, there's absolutely no way that this dude didn't just get fucking bodied in Haddonfield over this shit. He's got two security guards. They didn't do anything. Well, yeah, because they're a bookstore security. Right. What the fuck are they going to do? Barnes & Noble security. <laughs> they have yeah. security at Barnes & Noble? <laughs> no. <laughs> Put the coffee down. <laughs> That's It's interesting that you use the word exploitation, though, because Rob Zombie did a really good job at uh, representing different types of grief and not like the stages of grief, but like Loomis exploited the grief mm-hmm. and Laurie succumbs to the grief mm-hmm. and Sheriff Brackett and Annie, they avoid it. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's really, it's across the board, a really great representation of types of grief and, or, or how people deal with it. Certainly. Mm-hmm. And it, it's weird that like, like you were saying with just how Loomis took his aspect of the grief and it's like, he even like tries to say a handful of times. Like I think when he was actually in the interview with Chris Hardwick and he was like, you know, I almost got killed myself. And he's like, yeah, we all feel real fucking bad for you, man. Yeah. (laughs) Meanwhile, he's hitting on that fucking reporter in front of the fucking Myers house. He even, he even compliment, like he, he doesn't like hit on her, but like, the Linda, the dad, who has a picture of her, his daughter who's dead. Yeah. He was like, "Oh, she's very beautiful." Yeah, yeah. And yeah. he was like, "Yeah, she was." <laughs> <laughs> That's the kind of dialogue that I'm really here for. It's right. like, "Yeah, she was." <laughs> so Michael took her face. Yeah. To the pot. Yeah. <laughs> I love an instigator. <laughs> That man, that man pulled out that gun so fast. Fire starters, and, and, my guy. Yeah. And, and you know, it it was wild to me that uh, everything kind of like the way that pacing was was actually really good because everything got back to bracket really quickly. Mm-hmm. So he calls the house. He's talking to Danielle Harris, who again I just wish had more screen time sure. in this movie because she's such a phenomenal uh-huh. actress and she got downplayed so hard. And I don't know if that's because of the way the script had to go or I have a theory. I believe that Annie represented um, Lori's ties to humanity and normalcy because they had shared that trauma 
that yeah. was a connection that couldn't be severed, right? And so that is, she was representative of mm-hmm. the human side of it while she was processing the psychological effects of grief as well as what Myers was inflicting on her. Well, right? she was definitely grounding her the whole time, yeah. so I could definitely see that. She's because, living like, with her, all of the things, right? And she's know. not fucked up from right. being fucked up mm-hmm. <laughs> the yeah. previous year. I, I would have really liked to explore Annie a little bit more in terms of her dealing with the trauma before her death, because while her death was extremely emotional, like mm-hmm. the way that Scout like just like cries over her body, the way that Sheriff Rocket like oh yeah door frame and is just screaming no no no, and then I mean it was a very powerful death, and it was that was one of the times where they slowed it down a little bit, they slowed the scene down, mm-hmm. which I think was intentional and it was good to mm-hmm. fit the scene. Um, but I would have loved to see Annie, you know, like maybe alone in her room, just mm-hmm. kind of like being sad or yeah. journaling so- something to something. give like, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I definitely agree with that. Cause it sucked to see a character that we loved from the first movie who like had this great relationship with prevalent. Lori. Yeah. Yeah. She was, she was played very well and her writing was great too it kind of feels like she's in like three scenes and then she looks up in the mirror and you just see that face of just not again, yeah, yeah. not fucking again. And like, that was that yeah. the, the expression on her face was delivered very well too. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. Her hair and her facial expression and the lack of makeup that she wore was really similar to her time in John Carpenter's Halloween. Like there was oh, a yeah. scene there was a scene where Lori's drinking in her bedroom and Annie walks in and is like, Oh, is this what your new friends do? And like, they get into this like intense argument and Annie's face just drops and it gets really sad. And I was like, you look 12 years old. You look so good. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it was so sad. You just imagine her back in her clown costume. Yeah. <laughs> this was one of those moments. I love Rob Zombie and Rob and mostly because he's one of the only horror film directors that kind of will sink my gut for half a second. Sure. Yeah. Uh, and, th- and this actually happened in this scene where, uh, you know, like you're talking about Lori gets back, she's crying over Daniel Harris's body and having this amazing performance realistically. Um, and then we get, keep getting those quick flashes of her getting thrown around the house, why everything's askewed. And then we have Michael standing over her and we have uh, small Michael or tiny Mike, <laughs> little Mike, little Mike, yeah. <laughs> We have Lil Mike uh-huh. and Mama that are just like, now play with her a little bit. And I right. was just like, oh, uh-huh. fuck me, dude. Yeah. Like, uh, oh, yeah. oh, God. Well, it, I wondered about that. I wondered about that that line specifically because in the scene, Daniel Harris being thrown around the bedroom and those little flashes and stuff. Mm-hmm. And like then there was like the shot of her like crying up at him. And then Mom's like, now, now have some fun or something like that. Yeah. And then she's naked in the bathroom. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what I will, I, I see what you're getting at. So here, here's my take on it. Um, Cause I thought that for a long time too. The only thing that's keeping me away from that is I view Michael Myers the same way that I view the Joker in the aspect of that's not the first thing they're like, that comes to mind. Like if you're like, Hey, don't assault me in this fashion. They're going to be like, Oh, well, of course I'm going to do that then. But if it's one of the, it's yeah. uh, that doesn't feel like their motive. And actually yeah. there's uh, in the director's cut of the first movie, uh, the only difference that I saw between the original cut and the director's cut was while Michael's being ushered down the hall by the security guards, 
they stop and the two guards go in and play with one of the, you know, uh, girls of the ward, Mm -hmm. Um, which for me is kind of weird. Like, it just kind of feels unnecessary, like just to storytelling in general, because they were characters that he was literally going to kill at the end of the hall. And it's like, I don't know why we made this pit stop to begin with or why this is the director's cut overall, you know, but I don't think that was the MO, but I think it, I think it's possible. That's certainly how it reads though, isn't it? Yeah. You know, I think it certainly could be. I think it's one of those things where maybe you just got really slashed up or, you know, you're trying to get away and it just rips off or whatever, you know? Yeah. And maybe, Maybe, or maybe she was, I'll have to, maybe we'll have to rewatch. Maybe she was in a bathrobe. You know what I mean? Mm. Well, she was definitely, she was definitely naked. We watched it like an hour. (laughs) No, no. I mean like before that in a bathrobe, like she had just gotten out of the shower. I think you're right. I think she actively was. I don't think she was because she was like about to get in the shower, getting out of the shower or something Mm -hmm. like that. Yeah, I I really hope that that's not the case. I know that Rob Zombie is notorious for Mm -hmm. shit like that. So it's it's unfortunately a toss up. Um, And it's one of those things that I feel like we just deal with in the horror community because there's a lot of people that. I really don't want to say her for it because I really don't want those people to be out there, but they do exist. But I feel like a lot of horror fans in general don't really want that. But it's like you look at things like American Horror Story, for example, and it's like you can't get through a season without it. Mm -hmm. And it's almost like a crutch at this point. And it's like I get that that's an innate fear for people, but I also think that there's a level of taste in cinematography. And and just like – uh, and I won't harp on it too long, but I will say one of my things is you look at like a handmaid's tale, right? My, I cannot watch that show because of the way that they shoot it, because I don't think the way that they shoot the show is respectful to the actresses and to the story itself. Because like, I'm telling you, I don't, I just don't need an aerial shot of what's going on. You can just tell me what's happening. I fucking believe you. Like I, I promise I believe you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think with The Handmaid's Tale, it moves the plot along. The shots, I haven't seen the show, so I can't tell you, you know, what the shots are good or not. But I think that is intentional to the plot, obviously. Mm -hmm. But for, like, but a lot of times in horror movies, like, it's just not needed. It doesn't move the plot anywhere other than just fucking your main character up a little bit more. And you can do that in a different way. I've been in this industry, I've been in the horror industry for long enough to know that, like, if you're getting chased by a masked killer and you're getting sliced and diced like fucking Zorro and you're seeing your best friend's parents and your, and your boyfriend's dying, like that'll fuck you up enough. You don't need to do that. Yeah. 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 It's kind of a testament to the slasher itself. Like just in this instance, instance that you're speaking of, because it's just one of those things where if they have to do that too, were they scary to begin with? Because if, well, it just doesn't like, sorry to cut you off. Go ahead. I was just going to say, if that's Ghostface's M.O., I'm still more afraid of Art the Clown, yeah, yeah, who yeah. doesn't fucking do that yeah. by leaps and bounds. Yeah, for sure. And I just, I, you know, for me, I think there's a level of propriety when it comes to, like, what kind of trauma that people, that viewers may have experienced, can we play on mm-hmm. and keep it within the realm of entertainment yeah. before it gets to a point where it's just like, 
You know what I'm saying? Well, and that's why, yeah. you know, for our episodes, we have trigger warnings before all of them, depending on, you know, whether it has to do with sexual assault or uh, suicide or anything like that, anything that there are like active helplines for. And it's just one of those things where I just think that there needs to be a little bit more mindfulness. And I felt like this movie did a little uh, did a little bit better of a job. Sure. Because it does feel like this is the horror thing to do is to take it in this direction. There are all kinds of stereotypes that exist yeah. within the genre yeah, yeah. that continue to get played on. Like I said, we don't have to spend a whole lot of time on it, but it is frustrating. Mm-hmm. I so. did actually love the conversation between uh, – I, I know you listened to Talk Scary to me, the episode that they had with uh, Tyler Maine, and they were discussing – who was harder to fight yeah. <laughs> between Daniel Harris or oh, it Scott was Daniel Thompson. for sure. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. That's yeah. She, I would be scared to be in a room alone with her if she was mad at me. Especially <laughs> after Hatchet? Holy yeah. fuck, dude. Yeah. <laughs> She's so cool. Like I that's one of my biggest dreams, honestly, is to like be at a horror convention and meet them and get to work with them and just be friends with them cuz like out of everybody in the horror community, they are on my level of like their personalities. So. Yeah, I'm sure you'll work with them at some point. I have no doubt. <laughs> we'll, see. we'll see. Scout's been doing a lot of rom-coms lately, so. For now, they're also going to be doing some horror shorts together, so you never know. <laughs> um, but it was just funny because uh, Scout starts throwing shade at Danielle Harris, and it's just like, she said something along the lines of like, bitch, you know you couldn't do it. And Danielle like throws shade back and she she was like, yeah, well, I was the final girl in this one in this one too. And she was like, yeah, the first movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was like, damn, girl. Yeah. And with the plot armor. <laughs> yeah. The hell is that? A plot device. Yeah. <laughs> I really enjoyed the parallel uh, of the scenes of the first movie and the second movie of of Annie of like when she was attacked and then versus when she died because it was almost the exactly exactly the same mm-hmm. naked half naked mm-hmm. sliced up and Lori finds her mm-hmm. and I think that for Lori as a character there was probably this sense of hope like okay this has happened once before she can pull through you know like like she's already survived once she can do it again and then like you see her leg just go limp and like mm-hmm. it was fucking over it was that is so crazy I love parallels like that mm-hmm. That was a hell of a shot, too, because they did it from, like, an angle behind her, right, where you just yeah. barely saw the leg drop behind Lori. Yeah, that was that was an incredible shot. Yeah. Um, and, and it's funny, too, that, like, Daniel Harris was actually talking about how these two movies were the only uh, films that she's ever agreed to be nude in. And I don't. As someone who is not in the industry, um, can you just give us a little light about, like, what? Does, does that really feel necessary? Does it feel like that's something that, you know, writers should be doing or shouldn't be doing? Or what, what what's your insight for stuff like that? Because obviously there was a reason that she said yes to it. Other, I'm sure she wasn't pressured by Rob Zombie. It was just, you know. No, no. I think, um, well, first of all, money comes into play. Uh, I can't speak for Danielle Harris, but I mean, if for the right amount of money, for the right amount of for the movie that has a high budget, if it moves the plot along, this is only for me, if it moves the plot, mm-hmm. it's intentional, there's a reason for it, I would do it. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, it would be, I, I mean, I got this role in this movie, and this guy was like, okay, so there's like partial nudity. And I was like, well, for me, there's not. And mm-hmm. if you want me in the movie, because I know your budget, and it's not high enough to pay me enough to be fucking nude. Right. <laughs> so, so if you want me in the movie, you'll you'll 
put clothes on me and you'll rewrite the scene or you'll just make it that I have clothes on. Mm-hmm. He was like, oh, okay. And then like a week later he was like, so here's the script. And I was like, that's right. Like <laughs> as actors, you have to advocate for yourself. And on low budget films, okay, you'd be hard pressed to find an intimacy coordinator because that's just, that's just another person you have to pay to be on set. And right. and low budget, you're not going to get one. Yeah. Yeah. So. Most definitely. Cause I mean, like I get what you're saying with like moving the plot along. Cause you look at like, you know, when you put the classic slasher tropes together, it's like, okay, well, these people are having sex. This couple is going to die over here, right? Because it's yeah. ultimately, and I've realized this, it's not that you die because you have sex. You die because you're not paying attention because you're having sex. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You didn't hear everybody screaming downstairs because you were screaming upstairs. <laughs> yeah. You. yeah. I, I almost said like five things. It's okay. <laughs> and I get the whole like, 70s 80s sexploitation horror movies like trauma like that is Mm. huge and it's a huge cult following but that is a certain audience that watches those movies Mm. and it's gore porn and it's almost like snuff movie it's almost like snuff you know Mm -hmm. and uh i get it it's they're fun to watch the fun journey through and through but I really like the this new age horror coming along in the past 10 years where people are focusing more on plot mm-hmm. because there's nothing scarier than being both like visually seeing something be fucked up, but also like mentally being fucked up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, because that's always been my appeal to horror to begin with is just like I watch horror movies for the plot because it's right. one of those things where like that plot can go anywhere Mm -hmm. no one has to survive this Mm -hmm. no one has to be the good guy sometimes there is sometimes there isn't and sometimes you fall into a fucking vortex and that's the fucking end of the movie so why do we need a nipple count yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah so like you, you mentioned you know some of that stuff kind of turning towards gore porn which i guess is like more of the early 2000s we'll say late 90s esque horror is kind of where I think a lot of that really started to get a lot of traction. Where do you think movies like what Rob Zombie makes falls in that cat? Like just in that vein of things. Cause you look at like the extreme side of that being hostile, which is objectively a bad movie because nothing happens and people just get tortured for an hour and a half. Like, or saw where it's like, you know, saw has a lot of gore to it, to it but it also has a very extensive plot line to it. So where do you think a movie like this would fall or just Rob Zombie films in general? Rob Zombie is very story oriented. Mm-hmm. And I think that's clear in his dialogue and uh, the shots that he chooses. I would say, honestly, that I mean, I would love to read a book that Rob Zombie, like not an autobiography. I know everything about him because I'm obsessed, but um, <laughs> I would love to read a, 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 like a fiction horror story that he writes because I think that he's so story oriented. I could definitely see that. And like, I think we, he's shown already that he's very good at character development. Um, I think for me, it gets lost in translation when you start hitting things like Lords of Salem. Cause it was one of those things where like, maybe it's just me and I'm dumb. And like that movie didn't translate to me like devil's rejects does where like a lot of those themes are really in your face. Whereas, you know, Lords of Salem felt more like I was watching a very artsy version of Rosemary's baby. Yeah. But it, it didn't, it didn't make it bad. I just, 
didn't understand it at the end of the day. I think uh, that I didn't enjoy Lords of Salem as much as I enjoyed everything else. Mm-hmm. And I, and to me, it feels like he wrote a rough draft, sold it as a concept, or or got his crew with on that concept, and then like the producer was like, okay, write write your other draft, and it was only one draft written, and then they went with it, like <laughs> because I I liked the story. round them up. <laughs> I liked the story and I liked the potential of it, but like you, it didn't translate well. It didn't stick, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, luckily, he has so many actors on retainer that he uses in most of his movies. <laughs> Danny Trejo, D. Wallace. Oh, my yeah. God. I love D. Wallace. I also love Danny Trejo. There's a there's a movie I really want to do on here uh, called The Killing Jar with Michael Madsen that I'm a really big fan of. Um, it's definitely a Sweet. yeah, it's yeah. a very channeled slasher. <laughs> it all just takes place in Danny Trejo's diner. <laughs> <laughs> That sounds so on brand. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, there, there were a lot of themes in this movie. Yeah. Obviously, between uh, family and grief. What, what do you think, Spencer? Was like one of the biggest takeaways. Like, if you had to put the biggest takeaway that you had from Halloween Two into one scene, what would that be? It's a good question. I have my moments. I, I don't know if I could put it. I don't think I can narrow it down to one scene. That opening sequence is probably in the top five mm-hmm. of like what what H two would be about. Um, honestly, I really I think it might be the scene where Lori dresses as the clown as Little Mike and, oh, and, and, and ties and ties Annie to the chair, duct tapes her to the chair like evil mm-hmm. or stepfather Ronnie mm-hmm. and kills her. That whole sequence I think is is very is like what h2 is yeah especially since like uh i know you said earlier that you're a big fan of parallels and there were a lot in that scene not just like topically but just that shot of the clown mask going over top of her looking up at the clown was like it was chilling to watch for the first time that uh that scene i think really summed up a lot of shit and honestly like summed up the psychosis overall that we were kind Mm -hmm. of dealing with and you know again if he had gotten to write the script that he wanted to that scene i think would have hit even harder because like you said it's it, that would have summed up what H2O it, or H2 there is. There you go. I know. God damn it. God damn it. <laughs> Whatever. That movie was fine. <laughs> was that the one with Busta Rhymes? I have no was idea. It H2O? I was think it was. Okay. It was, it was either that or Resurrection. I think it's H2O. <laughs> hey, man, I didn't come up with the titles. We're it's good. it's We're not good. my fault. I guess. Uh, what, so what are some final thoughts on this movie, Spencer? I... I think that it's definitely worth a watch um, for anyone who's not ever seen it before. Don't go in it without with with any expectations. Don't go into any movie, first of all, with any expectations. That's super fair. Um, but this one specifically, because a lot of the hate that Rob Zombie gets for uh, rebooting this franchise is from the choices he makes, with, especially specifically with Michael Myers. Um, so I would, I would go in it with zero expectations. I love this movie. It's definitely one of my favorites. So my final thought is that I, I give it like a, like a B plus and there's some, there's some like extracurricular effort in there. What would you give that on a number scale? One to 10. <laughs> of one to 10. Yeah. I would give it, give it like a seven. Okay. 
I feel that. We've had people say The Conjuring's a 10, so, I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah, there it is. Yeah. All right. Oh, my God. Validation. Uh, <laughs> I know okay. the listeners couldn't see your reaction to that, but <laughs> for those of you listening, it was priceless. Yeah. <laughs> it was our reaction. <laughs> Eric, what about you? What about so, you? yeah, this one for me, I, I have my own opinions about reboots. Just because I think when you're rebooting something, you are, I've made the listeners know my point on this already, but I just, for your insight on this as well. When you're rebooting something, to me, you're saying that you believe you have more to add to the story that the original person did not, or that you can recreate it and do a better job, or there's some level of... I don't want to say arrogance or anything like that, but to take something, I'm going to, I'm going to call it like self-confidence <laughs> to, to be able to take something that's universally beloved and do what you want to do with it and then give it back to the same audience that loved it in its original form. I take that, that to me is really tough. And I think reboots in general are more often than not misses. I was very impressed with the, the Halloween one that Rob Zombie did. Mm-hmm. I, I'm a guy that loves extra lore, loves extra backstory. I joke with him. I'm the guy that reads all the books in Skyrim. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, yeah. so he is that guy. I am that guy. <laughs> I'm I, very, yeah. So anyway, it was just, it was one of those for me that watching Mike go down at the end. I appreciate the storytelling and that sort of thing. It's just, I have to shake my head at it. It's just not, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? And so from a filmmaking perspective, I don't think there was anything objectively like negligent about the reboot aspect of it, I suppose, but they're just, I don't know. There wasn't anything that really grabbed me and said, yeah, here we go. You know <laughs> what I mean? So I'm feeling like a five and a half for this guy, probably. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think for me, it was one of those things where I, there were parts of this movie that I fucking loved. I love how they picked up right from the last story and it kept, it kept the story, the story that we were actively in going. And I think my my biggest issue with this movie is really just now knowing that the the plot was totally different. That it could have been different. Yeah, 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 because it's just one of those things where, like, I absolutely detested how much Mom and Lil Mike were in this movie. Because it felt Mm -hmm. like everywhere you turned, and it felt like it was taking up time and space that Daniel Harris could have been in this movie, first of all. Um, But also, it was just one of those things where it didn't feel like control was in Michael's hand. And when I think about Michael Myers in any iteration across the board, he is the apex predator. Mm -hmm. He is the one that is in control of the situation. And it kind of took all of that away. And again, if that was supposed to be Laurie Strode's character, that would make a lot more sense because she isn't there. Mm -hmm. You know, she isn't the apex. She needs guidance into this slaughterful family, right? And that's the direction that I thought it was going to go to because, like, we talked about the pale horse metaphor. I instinctively think Revelations and the pale horse rider was death, right? Death was the usher. Hell followed with him, Mm -hmm. right? And so that's where my head went. And so for death to fail at the end, because, you know, it's just one of those, like, I don't know. But again, knowing that it was always supposed to be Lori, right? Yeah. You know, now it's, I'm clicking. I'm like, okay. Because I would have rather had shots of Tyler Maine with no mask on and us assuming that it was Michael the entire time to then find out that it was Lori would have been so much better Mm -hmm. because again, this is just like, it just didn't translate because all of the art that you were talking about Spencer, that he tried to put into this movie just didn't. 
It just because yeah. all of the where's the art without like the actual concept behind it because the concept was supposed to be Lori. Right. And it was supposed to be a Lori story. <laughs> yeah. I think that I, I love Sherry Moon so much and I die on this hill. I don't care that she might suck a little bit at acting. I <laughs> I don't care. I think that she she That's I've seen fine. behind the scenes of her and I know that she tries really hard and she takes her jobs very seriously. Mm-hmm. Um and there's a reason that Rob keeps putting her back into the movies and it's not because she's his wife. I think it had a lot to do with her dedication to the art. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that for the whole like white horse thing, if it was just a white horse he was seeing, I would have yeah. been okay with that. Yeah. If Sherry Moon wasn't in this and it was just the white horse, I would have been cool with that. Because mm-hmm. I mean, I, and to, to your point, like she was great as baby. I thought yeah. she was, and she was actually really good in, uh, what was it? 30, 13. Uh, 31. 13 was 31. God damn these three numbers that he keeps making. Cause, well, because he has, three, well, he's got three from hell as yeah. well, and I'm just like, God damn it, dude! <laughs> Pick another number. Yeah, she was good in 31. Uh, another little tidbit I'll, I'll add that you probably guys didn't know about. Um, there was going to be a third one. Really? It was called Halloween 3D. I think it was. It was going to be. A oh Halloween. no! Oh, it was going. And in 2012, it was like next so <laughs> they're like shark boy and lava girl didn't do good enough we gotta nix this yeah. <laughs> danny trejo wouldn't stop doing spy kids <laughs> <laughs> cheech marin wouldn't stop yeah. doing spy kids either but anyways so spencer you have all of these projects coming out this year like when i was looking at your imdb you have such an impressive rep- repertoire of what's coming out in post-production this year do you want to tell us about everything <laughs> sure yeah yeah um so i'll go in order uh so i just in order okay hold on god what have i done <laughs> i'll say if it helps i have all of them written down so i can just start i can just start rapid firing at you <laughs> uh phantom fun world mm-hmm. that we filmed in march of last year and that was that's hands down my favorite set i've ever been on Story it looks amazing Corey Jones is a phenomenal director. I I would I will work with him for the rest of my life as long as he doesn't get weird. <laughs> you know those yeah. arts and folk. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but he's so he's so cool and he's actually become one of my really great friends and we we back and forth all the time with scripts and ideas and all this stuff different stuff. And Phantom Fun World, I play a character called Collins, and she is literally the Annie bracket to. Nice. (laughs) Yeah, to my co-star Celeste, who is literally like a Laurie Show type character, Mm -hmm. Um, and her name was Andy. So that was really really cool. And Elsie Holt was our our monster. He he was in Your Next. He was the monster in Your Next. And oh, no kidding. Yeah, that's super Uh, exciting. He's a great masked monster. Like he's he's so menacing. And the colors the color grading that Tori has chosen for Phantom is like purples and blues and mm-hmm. I literally from being chased from LC for months not months it felt like months but I had big PTSD for the color purple like I'd be at work and I'd see the color <laughs> purple and I'd get flashbacks of like being covered in corn syrup so um there was so yeah there was Phantom Fun World and then I did Wolf Hollow which is really great Mark Cantu was the director writer for that that was very fun I got to check off the little bucket list of me um being a werewolf um, oh yeah there you go and your costume looks sick thank you <laughs> it looks sick thank you 
Uh, and then there was The Demons Within, where I played a 17-year-old girl named Izzy Wagner. And she is a trip to be. Um, she's She was a troubled little bitch. <laughs> Same. <laughs> <laughs> Who isn't? Um, but yeah, oh, that was really fun too. I, I had a lot of fun being being Izzy for Demons Within. And and all of these will be coming out in like two, three months. So mm-hmm. I was say, um, because Hensley actually uh messaged me about just some of the stuff that was going on with y'all with Demons Within. And I and also actually um can we hear a little bit about how I got here? Yeah, yeah. Um so how I got here actually was filmed in twenty twenty. Oh, wow. And it sat in a hard drive on a computer for two years before. So I had uh, left a bartending job and I decided that I wanted to be an actor full time. And I just fucking ran into this this industry full force and I needed real material and mm. I didn't have anything. So I basically was like to the, the the writer of this, how I got here, I was like, where is this film? First of all, it was the coolest film that I had ever done up mm-hmm. until then. And I loved my time on set and I wanted to see it. And he was like, oh, well, we're having trouble with the editor, blah, blah, blah. So I actually, my, my roommate at the time uh, is a freelance content creator and editor for YouTubers. So I was like, well, I know someone. And so we got that ball rolling right then and there. I mean, someone just picked up a new job. (laughs) Yeah. Ashley Minnie is her name. She did a phenomenal job editing this like steaming pile of footage that like had been sitting (laughs) and sitting in a hard drive, just collecting dust. And she did what she could with it. And it it was really cool. Uh, That will have that. We had two premieres for that. And that'll be out on like Amazon or some kind of streaming service in the next couple months. But the sequel was just greenlit and we filmed that in July. That's so exciting. Yeah. So how I got here is a coming of age zombie apocalypse type film. My character, Nick is a police Academy dropout who is just like a, she's a dick. I'm not going to lie. Like she's a, I loved it. I loved it. She carries around an M16 with no care in the world. Like she's she's got a band. She looks like fucking Rambo. She's got, like a, <laughs> she's got an ammo rig strapped to her chest and an M16 and bandana around her her head. And she's like taking on grown men the size of Tyler Maine, essentially. <laughs> so. Yeah, that one looked like it was a lot of fun. I I really enjoyed the trailer. I thought the musical choices were really good. Was there a band that did that specifically for you guys? I know those rights get a little weird sometimes. So our editor actually owns rights to a lot of music. Um, I don't know how that is, but she is very knowledgeable when it comes to like copyright and stuff. So she is the one who did all that. That's actually super smart. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Just go ahead and get like a portfolio. Of shit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So from what I've gathered for just, you know, watching topically your trailers and all that kind of stuff for what's coming out. Um, it seems like you have a pretty good mix between uh, being a monster and being, you know, either the gun toting dick or, you know, <laughs> or, or being like, you know, one of the girls that are caught up in you know a slasher film. So 
out of those roles that you played, I'm sure there's different dynamics and what you find fun about each one. What do you kind of prefer to do out of all of those? Or do you like to keep consistently keep it mixed up like that? I'm really, I'm trying really hard not to be typecast. Uh, so I've been, like you said, like really getting a variety of different roles, mm-hmm. but I think that my favorite is probably like the final girl. I, I'm really good at screaming, <laughs> it's, but it's like an art. It really yeah. is like it's a thing you have to learn how to do correctly. Otherwise you mess yourself up. And I felt that in the trailer for the demons within, like just that scream that you let out when you're being carried out of the front of the house was so like oh. piercing. Mm-hmm. I was like, Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of screaming in that movie. I was just like, crying and screaming for like three weeks <laughs> we had had a uh, a short film was uh shot at my house and uh the actress uh, they, it was um the premise of it was is uh this guy had come back from the military from i think iraq or something like that and he was you know super ptsd He's trying to integrate back into life. He's hanging out with his uh, significant other. And the girl who played his significant other, like, they shot here for about five hours. And between cuts, that girl was forcing herself to cry in the corner next to my bathroom. And I'm just, like, sitting in here, like, watching TV with my headphones. (laughs) Yeah. So there is a trick that a lot of actors use, a lot of a lot of high scale industry actors try to use it too, especially after days and days or weeks and weeks of filming emotional stuff. It's hard to like, you run out of tears, like as a thing, like you run out of the ability to cry. So there's this thing that's used called a tear stick and it's shaped like a little uh, lipstick Mm -hmm. and it's basically shea butter and peppermint oil. And you just like kind of dab it. And the vapors just kind of float in front of your eyes mm-hmm. and it produces real tears. So it's like, it looks like you're really crying and you are actually crying. <laughs> painful. But it, it it's great for the times where you're emotionally exhausted and you can't produce real tears. Mm-hmm. That's, that's so wild to me. Like, I just like, I already have like such visceral, visceral reactions to like any kind of scented stuff, like, which is weird. Cause I can't smell. Right. <laughs> so it's like one of those things. It appears, like, but in a different part of your body. Yeah. It just <laughs> sets my body on yeah, fire. So like yeah. the things you do for art, like good on you. <laughs> yeah. That's our episode for today. Um, I want to thank Spencer Madison one more time for being here. Thank you so much. This has been fucking amazing for anybody who wants to listen to more of us talk about these movies that are coming out. Uh, actually Spencer, before we get off here, uh, where will these movies be available at? Like how can people watch them when they're coming out? Wolf Hollow is having a world premiere at the Hollywood theater in Pittsburgh. That'll be April 1st. There's an Eventbrite where you can buy tickets. They're like 25 bucks. And then uh, Phantom Fun World, still in the works. We're having, uh, the, the director knows what he wants. And he wants it to be on a big screen and not just like in a screening room. So mm-hmm. uh, he's finding locations for that. And that'll be in March as well. Um, and then Fan- or, uh, Demons is trying to be released in March too. And that is to be determined of where. But all of these movies will be able to be streamed Phantom will probably be on Tubi. Demons will probably be Amazon. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
and how I got here will be Amazon and we'll follow. Um, I'm not sure what the distribution will be for that. Okay, absolutely. And either way, um, you guys can follow them. We'll be posting plenty of uh, the movies from all of these Instagrams. Uh, so you'll be able to find the tickets XYZ. Just go to under the floorboards five on Instagram and we'll, we'll guide you. We'll guide you on the way. Yeah. Apparently we'll be, <laughs> actually be doing some interviews with we like will be your white horse. <laughs> <laughs> What a stallion. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, thank you once again, Spencer, for joining us on Under the Floorboards, where it creaks, it cracks, and we laugh at the creatures that go bump in the night. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it.